Hi, this is Jackie Hedeman, and I'm here with Kaylee Run for our podcast, The Cold Take, where we write letter essays to each other, and then we read them, and then we talk about them. Um, this week's topic is problematic faves. <laughs> but until then, we are talking about some hotter takes than usual. <laughs> Are we are we still talking about Trump? Yeah, shit, man. We so we were like as of time of record. Well, it's the day before it drops, so we've been talking about the Parkland school shooting a little bit, and we won't burden you guys with everything you've already heard and thought about it because trust, we're all on the same page. <laughs> but we were talking about that tweet that Trump did that was like the FBI is too busy trying to prove that I colluded with Russia to have stopped the school shooting. And it is like what I said to Kate before we started recording, it's like he thinks it's like some sheriff's department from like the 1870s where it's like, there's one man played by Gary Cooper. And if he is busy dealing with Russia collusion, nothing else gets done. It's just like, we're, we're talking about like, is it that he doesn't know the facts or he just has like zero regard for the facts? That is, I mean, <laughs> I feel like both can be true. <laughs> it's, it's like, just, I don't know. And I don't care to know. Here are the facts. <laughs> I, it's one of those things where it's like, like if it's ignorance, then are, is it not like a, a lie if you're the president? But it's also like, he's got to choose to be ignorant. He should know how the FBI works. Right. No, I feel like when you're in a position where, like, literally there are people whose only job is to brief you on things, then really you have to go out of your way to not know the information. I know. It's like, I feel like when he, when his presidency started, there were all those things about how he didn't want, like, daily briefings. And now there was something about how he doesn't want written briefings. It's like, he really doesn't want accurate info. No. Right. Like, your choices are someone tells you or you read it yourself. Those are the only options. I just subscribe to... My coworker told me about this skim, which, like, gives you, like, a brief about the news of the day. Oh, yeah. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it or looked at it. It's pretty good so far. Like, I don't know that I, like, adore it yet, but Mm -hmm. it seems good. But so it's like the news is given to you in an email every morning in, like, bullet points. It's like... That's fine for me, a citizen. Yes. Like, the president. <laughs> right. And, like, <laughs> that's... a lot more. You're right. Then that is a briefing of sorts. It's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> like, here's here's the very most basic version of what is happening in this world. And yes. I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, if someone mentions this, I won't be clueless. So, here's the thing about the Parkland shooting aftermath that made me realize... I don't know. This is, this is a weird place to go with this as an example, but I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Um, I felt, I think that millennials were old for the first time because for the first time I started seeing my peers articulating this phrase that has always, I've always had kind of mixed feelings about, which is like, Oh, the kids are going to save us. And, like, usually it's been said about us, but this was sort of, like, the first time it was like, oh, Gen Z's got our backs. And I had this, like, real moment of, like, oh, 
I finally understand why people say things like that. It's not to inspire the youth, which is what I thought it was when I was a youth. It is you reach adulthood and you realize that there are no adults and no one's going to save you. So once you've been disillusioned about the adults, the only thing you have left is to turn and look behind you and go, maybe it's those guys. No, I agree. And I feel like also it's just like, it's, it's that. And it's also like, Oh, we're fucked up already. So we're not going to take responsibility and like, yeah, change is coming instead of like, here I am. I'm the change. Right. Yes. No, it's absurd. I mean, all of that, like, I firmly believe all of this, but also at the same time, yeah, people like the kids are killing it, but they shouldn't have to like save the entire world. Like keep sending angry tweets and holding press conferences. Please do. It's great. It's much needed. You shouldn't have to, but here we are. But like, uh. I know it's just, it's, it's very weird to be on that other side and to also be like, like, cause we've grown up with mass shootings in schools. Yeah. And I feel like at first it was like, for me at least like, okay, that's something that happens in high schools. Mm-hmm. I'm not in high school yet. Yep. And then it was like, that's something that happens in middle and high schools. Now I'm in middle school. Then it's like, this happens in high schools. I'm in high school. Yeah. (laughs) Then it's like, this happens in middle schools, high schools, and colleges. I'm in college. Yeah. Then during college, Newtown happened. And it was like, this happens in every educational setting whatsoever. Yep. And then I was in grad school and I was the teacher and it's like, oh shit, this could happen. And I would be responsible. And they're not training us on how to handle this. And I'm supposed to be the one who's going to save the day. Yeah. It's like stick a belt through a thing, but like, you, I don't wear belts really anymore. (laughs) So you have to like hope a student has one. And do you remember, okay, there was that video that OSU produced that we were all supposed to watch about how to avoid an active shooter. I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it? (laughs) Nope. And I, I'm, I regret not watching it and I'm going to watch it because you never know. I could be somewhere else where they don't have blocks on doors. I I watched it and then I watched it with my class just so that like they knew about it and so we could also talk about it because I didn't want it to be like something that they might watch at home and be like oh my god has my teacher seen this right and and feel like afraid of so we watched it but it was like talking about finding a weapon and then we ended up awkwardly like looking around the classroom and being like what would be a weapon here And we decided that our best bet for a weapon was this one guy had ridden a skateboard to class that day and he had a skateboard. And we were like, that's basically the best weapon that we had in this classroom. And then one of the other guys, like there was like a silence. And one of the other guys was just like, dude, you got to ride your skateboard every day now. (laughs) Which was like nice. It was like, I'm glad that they could like kind of joke about it. But it was also like, yeah, nobody like you don't really want your kids or like adult students coming to class thinking like, do I have a weapon? Cause right. that's part of the problem to begin with. Oh, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not, it also like, that's a big burden of her like, well, you didn't have your skateboard and now look what happened. Like, no, <laughs> no. And it's, I don't know. It's very weird. And also I realized then that like, I think I realized during my first semester teaching at OSU that I was very used to thinking of my students as potential victims in that situation. And I did not ever see them as potential aggressors. And then I was like, is that like 
a problem? Like, do I need to be looking for potential aggressors? And then I was like, this is so fucked up. It's like, so, so fucked up. Cause I feel like <clears throat> there's the part of that. That's like, absolutely not. Cause like, that's how we, that's how, I don't know. <laughs> I'm above my pay grade to explain that. But like, I, there's the other part of that. That's like when there are students that concern you, it's usually because they've been and you specifically, but also you and I, and like one in general, it's usually because they've been like making aggressively violent, like sexist comments. Yes. And yes, there is a correlation, although not a causation. Yes. Yeah. It's, Oh my God. Dude, I, I'm too sad. I'm, I'm glad that neither of us is teaching right now, though. We both have like many people that we love who teach. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, I, I'm with you. Like if only I'm, I'm very selfishly glad I'm not teaching. If only just because like I got real tired in the second half of last year teaching of like having to address things in class. <laughs> Yes. That had like happened outside of class. Yes. And it's like, it's so hard because like, I know I miss teaching. Yeah. So much. But then to be like, well, at least I don't have to go into a room of students and explain why they need to be afraid that they could get shot in this classroom. Right. I mean, even the like giving people an option about like wanting to talk about something or not wanting to talk about something is already just like bringing it in. So I don't know. It's so hard to know what to do. And like, Again, nothing like just putting the onus on teachers and students is so the wrong thing. But again, everyone listening agrees. So fuck guns. <laughs> For real. It's just like, I, oh my God. Oh my God. It's just like having all these like lawmakers be like, what could we possibly do? Like how to, tell us how we can help. It's like, you fucking know, you know, you already know. Oh my God. So there's this politician in Kansas who like last, I don't know, last Saturday or last Sunday or something was like, Hey, I'm gonna, he was run, He's running for office, I think. And he's like, I'm auctioning off an AK 15. And then on Thursday, a reporter or someone asked him, Hey, are you still doing that? And he was like, yeah. And it's just like, that's when I realize, I mean, there's ample evidence already, but that's like, when you really think of like, there are so many viewpoints that are just like the antithesis to how I think life should be that people hold, but I can kind of like play weird intellectual mind games to like get myself to understand why they might, feel that way or think that because they're like really insecure about being a rich white man or whatever. But that like love of high powered guns is not something that I can understand. (laughs) No, me neither. And I don't know. I don't understand like gun collection. I don't understand. No, it is. I feel like I have occasionally had those moments that like, I remember reading after the election about like this being a trend among women where it's like, you do suddenly realize that as a liberal woman, like we are the least armed demographic. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. So there are a lot of people that hate us and they have all the weapons. Right. From like, from like a, just a purely 
uh, political standpoint or just a standpoint of like power analysis. It's like, well, that's not, that's not an ideal situation. Right. Oh yeah. But it's also, it's hard to justify arming oneself and you know, I still, still don't own any guns. Absolutely. No, it's true. I mean, it is, it's the, like, it's the damn, I mean, it's how we sort of like find ourselves in this mess, but it is true. It's like all you, when you, all you have in a classroom is ideals and a skateboard, but also (laughs) that's all I want in a classroom. I don't want anything other than ideals and a skateboard in a classroom. Like that's what got us into this damn mess. (laughs) I know. It's like, I don't even fucking like those hoverboards that they were riding. No! (laughs) Those can explode. Also, every single kid who was on a hoverboard was also, like, checking their phone while riding the hoverboard. And I'm like, I know if someone checking their phone and just walking runs into me, it's going to be annoying. But it's not going to be, like, I will be flattened. (laughs) Um, I one time was almost mowed down by an extremely tall man on a hoverboard who was riding his hoverboard like into the stairwell. And I was like, I really hope you're going to step off of that. Right. It's like, what's the plan? <laughs> I know. I'm like, cause if I wasn't in your way, things could get really bad. Exactly. Oh, I also, okay. You know how hard it was to, for some undergrads to find the English department main office mm-hmm. at OSU? I once watched an undergrad ride his hoverboard back and forth down that hallway, like trying to figure out where it was. And I was just like, why? It's like, maybe if you're going a little slower, it would be easier to spot. <laughs> and I was just like watching him out from like my office door. And I was like, I want to help him, but also I hate him. <laughs> oh God. It's so true. Um, I'll read my letter. Do it. Yes. Um, and then we'll see what the fuck comes of this. <laughs> yes. Dear Cade, I came up with a way to approach this topic while driving the other day. And then this morning, driving in to write this and record it, it occurred to me that I already talked a little bit about this on our Taken by the Wire episode. I was going to talk about the West Wing and how parts of it sound a little sexist today, quite sexist sometimes even, and a lot of other things besides, but that when it came out, the bar was lower. If it were made now, it would have to be made differently and hopefully better. But in the meantime, I'll keep watching it. The way I watched the Philadelphia story, wherein Cary Grant's character humorously punches Katherine Hepburn's character in the face. Like, the fuck? But also, there are so many other things in that movie that are hilarious and amazing. It's the pinnacle of a problematic fave, frankly. I think you should know right now that I don't think there's any such thing as a non-problematic fave. I don't say this to excuse the really and truly deeply problematic media in the world, but rather to be more forgiving of the flaws of the media that mean something to us, regardless of how pure and perfect it fails to be. My feelings on this are tied to a couple internet things that float in and out of my radar. One is that chart of the 10 corporate monopolies that own everything, and how impossible that makes it to boycott a thing with any degree of effectiveness. The other is that phrase, no ethical consumption under late capitalism. For someone who likes pop culture as much as I've discovered I do, this is something I have to make my peace with. Even if I ever were to find a pop star to love who had done no wrong, made no embarrassing teenage slip-ups, said nothing ignorant or offensive, that person would still likely be a mega millionaire, and either the product or the representative of a whole lot of privilege of one sort or another. It's good to have standards. If a fave says the N-word, drop them like a hot potato. It's also good to know where your own blind spots might be in terms of non-N-word deal breakers you maybe should have. But also, but also, but also, you're literally never going to find anyone or anything that isn't flawed, and some of those flaws have to be forgivable. 
Another thing we've talked about on this podcast is the loving critique. The, I love this book, but here are some things about it I wish were different. It's the thing about the workshop model I actually liked. The fact that good and bad can coexist and that the existence of bad doesn't mean that the good gets tossed out on the trash pile immediately. It just should mean that the bad gets edited a little bit. Listen, aside from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Jane Eyre is my favorite book of all time, and the racial politics of that book are terrible. Terrible. I would hope that people who love Jane Eyre as much as I do, who are inspired by the good in it as much as I am, would be discerning enough to know that while parts of that book are great and replicable and models for us all storytelling-wise, other parts don't have a place in modern literature absent a critical lens. Here's an incomplete sampling of my problematic faves. First and foremost, One Direction. John le Carré, Kanye West, Love Actually, The Cambridge Spies, Six Feet Under, Midnight in Fucking Paris, which is a goddamn Woody Allen film, and I should be ashamed of myself, and I am. Actually, you know what? Let's strike that one from the record for a second. Not because I don't like that movie, but because it overbalances this point I'm making. It's part of a slightly different but linked discussion of separating or not separating the art from the artist. Midnight in Paris would still be on this list even if Woody Allen weren't involved with it, but for completely different reasons than the reasons that make me ashamed to like this movie despite everything. But to return, this sampling was just the things off the top of my head where I can point to a specific thing about them and go, yeah, not cool. You have to understand that I have a shit ton of problematic faves that aren't listed here because I was an English major and I went to Princeton and I love old movies. Usually those movies are like the Philadelphia story. I go back after years and rewatch and think, yeesh, was it always like this? Here's an interesting case. My favorite movie in the entire world, Some Like It Hot, was made in the 1950s, so, you know, it's got more than its fair share of problems. But when I first watched this movie in the 1990s and loved it, parts of it felt progressive. When I rewatched it in the early 2000s, it still felt progressive. When I rewatched it recently, it seemed even more progressive. When there are laughs to be had on the topics of sexuality and gender expression, the laughs are almost always on the person who just can't handle it. There's a punch-up element to this comedy, and it's flawed. It's still a problematic fave. With every passing day, as our understanding of gender becomes more fluid and our conversations around sexuality become less stratified, some like it hot starts to look more and more rather than less and less like the world around us. Love, Jackie. Ah, I love this letter. This letter is um, a better version of my letter. Ah. This is like like the smarter version of the letter that I wrote, which I'm just going to mime balling up and throwing into the no. Goodbye. No. Um, uh, I love this letter. Also, totally unrelated to like the content, the way that like, because you have Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy next to Jane Eyre with just a comma. So it looks like there's like, this other book called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Jane Eyre, which I would read. Oh my god, you mean my memoir in progress? <laughs> that would just be, uh, what is the fucking, uh, oh, Pride and Prejudice with Zombies or whatever? It's like the, the better version of that. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Jane Eyre. Um, 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 no ethical consumption under late capitalism. None. None. <laughs> also i have not seen this uh the thing the chart of like the companies oh man i so usually when i reference charts like this in letters like this i can i look for them briefly and i cannot find them and then i feel like did i dream it but i just i just started to google that chart of corporate and it filled in for me with like 12 suggestions none of which i had typed in before and then I found it and it is like, let me see, actually, I'm going to pull it up. And since it's only 10, I'm just going to read what the 10 are. 
Okay. Um, let's see. Ten. Oh wait. Ooh, can I guess? Yeah. Uh, Coke. Um, correct. Uh, is Apple on there? No. Not that Apple doesn't have products, but this is like more along the lines of um, skincare and toiletries and food. Oh well, then Johnson and Johnson is on there. Yes. Uh, Procter and Gamble. Yes. Nestle. Yes. Um. Oh shit. Uh. So not like car companies. So not like Ford. No. Yeah. None of that. Oh god. Um. I'm trying to think of the other big umbrella ones. Like, is Kellogg on there? Yep. <laughs> You've got five. That is already um, four more than I would have known off the top of my head. Well, I do now work in finance. That's true. <laughs> That's my only excuse here. Okay, what are the rest? So you said Coke, Kellogg's, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, and Nestle. There's also PepsiCo, oh, yeah. um, Kraft, Mars, Unilever, and um, I forget what this used to be called, and now it's just like the ampersand symbol. Oh, shit. Oh, but I know what that was. Yeah. What was it? Um, I completely forgot. It makes like like Pillsbury and Haagen-Dazs and Cheerios and... Oh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like the hard thing is like, I would have guessed that Nestle owned PepsiCo, but I don't know why I would have guessed that. I would have thought that too. Like which are separate and which are shoved together. I mean, also it could be, I I think there are enough, I'm seeing enough versions of this chart that like make me think that they have not merged, but also it's possible that things have merged since the making of this chart. So (laughs) I don't, I I think that those are probably still a 10 because, oh my God, it's just so upsetting. It is. I mean, it's sort of like, it's, um, (laughs) it's like climate change in that it's like, well, we can't just resign ourselves. Like you have to just do something, but also like forgive yourself when you can't like dismantle the entire thing immediately overnight. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also, oh God, it just makes it so hard because like things that look like small businesses are not small businesses. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. And it's like, it's when, I don't know, I feel like after the election, there were a lot of good examples of like brands where the founder, whoever was supporting Trump, but like the money going to the brand, like really doesn't go to that person anymore. I mean, it does cause whatever, but maybe they just sold it outright. Like I'm thinking of Yingling. I don't really right. know a whole lot of like the corporate structure of Yingling, but, um, I know that I was trying to convince my dad to stop drinking Yingling and he basically brought out the receipts and I was like, okay, well do what you want. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because it's like, it's just like, even though like wealth does like flow to like the top 1% or whatever, it's like buying a Yingling beer does not directly mean that you just gave $10 to Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. God. Which I think is like, it just, it's the whole Yes, there is no ethical consumption under league. <laughs> I also, um, one thing that I've found that you can use to track like which small companies are getting bought up is um, mass ingredients like refined sugar and corn syrup. Oh. If a brand that you really like uh, and then they get bought up by a company, they usually then change the formula to make it cheaper. So something that didn't have corn syrup or refined sugar before or, you know, 
those kinds of like mass market carbs and sugars, it, they'll suddenly start showing up in the new formula. That's so interesting. Um, sidebar, yes. is the ampersand General Mills? Oh, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> Just like how upsetting is it that like 10 companies basically determine what goes into all of our bodies all the time? Yeah. Yeah. No, essentially. And it is like, and it's also what I hate about sort of like crit of, of like a genre of critique of that is like how classist they are where it's like, well, great. Just don't eat any of them. And it's like, these are very inexpensive choices and like not all of them are wildly unhealthy either. So like, <laughs> is a problematic save something that you personally like enjoy or like or spend time thinking about can a problematic save also be something that you are unwittingly spending a lot of money on Ooh, i mean i feel like they're definitely related which is i think like why i started going into like corporate stuff as a way to (laughs) explain how i feel about this because like i think it's a more concrete version of just like sometimes it's okay to like things that aren't perfect I think problematic faith could be capacious enough. Like that's not how I've thought about it, but like, yeah, why not? Like it could just be like, yeah. And also, um, Nick's makeup is a problematic fave because like, why does it take all my money? <laughs> or is that not quite what you I, meant? I, I feel, no, I think that is part of it, but I feel like also like, if you ask me like, are you a supporter of the Coca-Cola brand? I'd be like, no. I don't drink Coke. I don't think they're cool, but probably like by accident or just by virtue of being like an American grocery shopper, I'm probably giving them like hundreds of dollars of my money every year. Right. So I would probably leave at least for my definition. Cause I feel like I, I'm also very like, I feel like people need to come to their own peace and like what constitutes a problematic fave. But like for me, I wouldn't count that because it's not like you like it. Right. It's just sort of like, no, it's just sort of like how corporations have set up life to be (laughs) like a problematic part of your life. Yes. A problematic favorite thing. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like, it's sort of like, it is linked in that it's like kind of complicity that you have like a sliding scale of control over. But yeah. (laughs) I feel like now I just want to like hide in a hole and vomit a few times. Well, it's um, so funny because writing this gave me the opposite feeling to that. I, cause as I'm going through it, I'm like, I mean, I guess I could just follow local indie bands and I'm like, but they're usually shitty. And yeah, I was thinking about that recently because Tyler and I were talking about someone that we know who like only engages with like super alternative media and thinks that's so cool. And it's like, okay, but like all of this supposedly alternative media is like, the most mainstream of the alternatives. And Mm -hmm. also then you're totally disregarding anything mainstream that might be high quality. Yes. Yeah. And also like it, it, Oh God. I I mean, I'm the one who brought Woody Allen into it, but like it, it becomes a, a um, lower profile kind of version. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that all the media that this person consumes is like made by terrible people. Like probably some of it is fine, but like, I think 
people find themselves having problematic faves because they go into consumption of things thinking that there's, that it is good and pure and that such a thing is possible. Like, and I don't think it is. (laughs) No. And then like, those are the people who get like suddenly upset if they find out something about an artist or if that artist like sells out in some way. Yeah. Well, and so like where I, I think like, where I have trouble is it's very easy to see like if you liked a comedian who then all who is not black who all of a sudden drops an end bomb it's very easy to see that as being like the end of the road yes but it's I it's not a slippery slope in that I fear that I will start to excuse people doing like heinous heinous things but it's hard for me to know kind of for myself where like when to stop giving caveats about something as like, but it did, it's done. I like it. It's done a lot for me. And when to, you know, cut the cord. Yeah. And I think and it's when, case by case, but. <laughs> and when also is like, cause I feel like there are some things that we both consume like semi ironically. And it's like, when does that ironic thing, like the disclaimer of it being semi ironic no longer makes any sense because you watch it every week or right. you spend money on tickets to it or. Right. You know. Yeah, totally. Um, and I don't say this to, I don't know, like I, I feel like there's just as many dangers in like being very militant about being like, well, you can never like anything that has done anything wrong versus like, well, then you have, you can like everything because there's no ramifications. Like both of those I find to be their own level of problematic, but it's hard to like find a place at the borders where you can still kind of be. (laughs) Yeah. I, it's just, it's, and I feel like the thing that has like struck me the most recently, because like, I have no problem. Like when all the stuff came out about Bill Cosby, it's like, okay, like I'm not going to ever engage with any of his work again. Yeah. I don't want to same with Woody Allen. Like I just, Nope, I'm good. There's plenty of other shit to do. But then recently I saw something about like how, like a lot of other people contribute to those types of art too. Yeah. It's like, there are a lot of people who have starred in Woody Allen films and have worked on those films and like, you know, it's their art too, yeah. to some extent. And it's like, well, if they didn't know about what he did, then we're denying them yeah. their careers. Or like, to on use the basis kind of, of like, someone. I feel like a, not better example, but like a, a harder example. Cause Woody Allen's hard in like the ways of like, everyone's known about him forever. So it's, that's hard. That's true. But like, it's like when you marry your stepdaughter. <laughs> yeah. But like with, um, the stuff that came out about Jeffrey Tambor on transparent, like that. And also, I mean, just kind of the more general conversation about like a cis man portraying a trans woman, but like both of those things, don't take away from like the other amazing performances and work on that show. And so it's hard to know kind of an example like that, where it is just like a highly collaborative piece of media, like what the response can and should be. And it's hard too, when it's like, like house of cards, it seemed like who knows if it was easy or what, but it seemed like it was possible at least for them to write Kevin Spacey out. Yeah. Whereas like transparent, like you're talking about the central character that the show is essentially named after. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, it's a mess. 
And those are even like, yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess it's also like in terms of like the grand stakes of the world, it's like, is it really like, I don't, I don't actually know. And I haven't been following what their plans are, but like, if that show ends, like everyone else still gets to say, like, I worked on a, like, didn't it win a Golden Globe or something? Yeah, totally. It's like, they worked they on both a Golden did. Globe. Yeah, it's like they worked on a Golden Globe winning show. Yep. It had a really good run. It's now over. Like, yeah. To me, it wouldn't be especially tragic if the show ceased to exist. And it was like, well, hopefully all those other people are going to continue to have careers and get jobs because they did a lot of good work. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, based on the structure of the show, it might not be able to exist anymore. And that's kind Bye. of how I like, how I sort of wreck, not, not even reconcile. Cause I don't feel guilt about it. I'm just like, it's an observation I have. It's how I sort of conceptualize kind of like what the West wing and like other examples like that does. Cause it's sort of like, because it existed, like the bar got raised a little bit because the thing that followed it existed, the bar got raised more because of blah, blah, blah on up and up and up. And so it still has value, even though watching it now can be very uncomfortable at times and at other times, like just as delightful as it was the day it aired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like, like the, the coming out moments of TV and like the early two thousands and things like that. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like those now would just be like, cool. So you're gay. What's the rest of this character? Seriously. (laughs) Like any viewer now would be like, well, them being gay can't be the only thing we know about them. So seriously. Oh my God. Yeah, no, it's weird. It's like very, it's kind of cute and charming in hindsight where it's like, and that's the plot. This person is gay. Now it's like, (laughs) that is the most boring fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. But, like, in some ways, it's, like, uh, like the Caitlyn Jenner movie and Transparent. Like, I haven't seen either of them, but from what I understand and how they were marketed, the plot is basically this person is transgender. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> it is. It, it is just sort of, like, um, and, I mean, things can be that way and be successful and, like, do a nuanced thing and still have that be kind of, like, the core <laughs> plot point. Yeah. But it's true that like as more and more media exists where like there's different facets of representation, it does become funnier and funnier that that was ever a thing. Yes. <laughs> or like like movies where it was like there's a black girl who goes to an Ivy League school. Oh yeah. Well like That's the whole thing. Like guess who's coming to dinner or like on the flip side that Julia Stiles ballet movie. <laughs> oh god. Was that like, there's a white girl who does hip hop now? Was yes. The, yeah. Is that also the plot of Step Up? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> maybe I'm giving the Julia Stiles movie short shrift because I feel like maybe it was secretly based on Othello in the way that like all of those teen movies were based on like Jane Austen or Shakespeare. But I don't think it was as successful as some others in terms of adaptation. <laughs> oh, for real. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of that. Uh, uh, Oh God. I mean, there's so many shows now that like disability is a thing. Like, um, that show atypical is basically like, there's a teenage boy, except he has autism. (laughs) Yeah. What now? (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, I wonder about sort of that being, a recognizable pattern of like representation cycles of representation where like first forays kind of fit the, like 
here is a gay person, here is a black person, watch their wacky hijinks. And then subsequent ones are more like, here's a black person who's also a lawyer. And then like years <laughs> later, it's like, here's a black person who has like qualities of a person <laughs> taste personality taste flaws like <laughs> a family a family a significant other like, yes no. <laughs> uh, yeah i wonder also it's interesting because i feel like people are like with disability right now in this moment just because i'm close to that community and a part of it it's like people are like why aren't you all satisfied there are now more disabled people it's like yeah but so we're in that first part where yeah. the only quality is that they're disabled. We need to get to stage five. Like, Yeah. And so I guess like what I'm sort of wondering is if that process will accelerate since like people have had all the more time to witness it as a process. Does that yeah. make sense? Like if kind of like naming the fact that like early entries into like representational media are often just kind of like, here, I did the thing. There's the person. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, but we need like something more substantive. Right. Substantive. Yeah. Substantial. Oh. Substantive. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's the word. Um, 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 we were talking a little bit about this last week and I didn't get the chance to ask you. To own voices. Oh, shit. And I completely forgot to, like, beef up my existing knowledge. But it's the cold take. So if I had done research, would you guys be happy? Um, <laughs> so, They're never happy, Jackie. They listen to us talk for an hour a week. That's true. There's no happiness to be found. Um, yeah, no, I think... So I name-dropped own voices last time, which I think more properly originated as hashtag own voices. And from what I understand, and this is the part that I am just kind of making up. So, okay, wait, I'm going to make a nonfiction move of grounding this in my own experience. So the first time I became aware of own voices, it was um, in the context of um, like YA and children's books on Twitter and kind of conversations about authors who like represent various identities being the ones to tell those stories as opposed to like authors who may have just written a thing or may have written a thing and hired a sensitivity reader, but like no group is a monolith. So that is a limited kind of like thing that a person can do. Um, so I mean, the monolith thing is never fixed no matter who's writing it, but yada, yada, yada. Um, so, like, that was kind of how I was seeing the conversation. And the conversation wasn't, like, so toss all the books where this hasn't been the case. But the conversation was, like, now that we know that this is a thing that we should be doing, like, letting people speak for their own experiences, this is something that we should be foregrounding. So, like, there was a push in this kind of, like, hashtag to promote books where, like, that was the case. Okay. that Because yeah, I feel like the way I saw it was... Like it was in the Twitter bios of like agents and editors, like looking for hashtag own voices stories. Oh yeah. And when I sort of like, I didn't do too much like looking into it, but, and you already know this, but I feel like I'm like the only nonfiction writer from our cohort who like grew up in nonfiction and didn't come from yeah poetry or fiction to yeah. it. So like, to me, it was just like kind of mind blowing. Cause I was like, everything I write is own voices. It's about me. It's my story by me, myself and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But I feel like it's the other way. We, I feel like you and I have seen firsthand and I have done firsthand, like how that's not always the case in nonfiction, even though, because there is like that thing of like, I mean, to use my own example, like, I don't want to throw anyone else under the bus. Um, the sort of like phenomenon of, oh, hey, I worked on the West Side of Chicago for three years. So here's an essay about the West Side of Chicago. Like, I, even though I'm in it and like my experiences are in it, I would not call that a successful own voices <laughs> entry. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, I, I'm just going to say I like that essay, but you know, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I feel like also like my initial disbelief is tempered by a conversation I had with Lena, my thesis advisor, recurring character, listeners, um, (laughs) where I was kind of like bitching about like people who write appropriative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was like, how dare this person write this essay, et cetera. And she was like, maybe what you see as like appropriation and confidence is actually people who are so not confident that they don't think that their own stories are worth telling. So they go around looking for some other interesting story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wow, that's a much nicer way of viewing these people that I was complaining about. Do have compassion. I mean, I will get, like, I feel like she's probably right about 90% of people who are doing that. And then, like, I feel like for ten, the 10% who are doing it maliciously, that's, like, they're beyond hope. But I feel like of the 90%, there's, like, a subset who, if called out, would double down and, like, that's irritating. <laughs> so it's not to, like, let the 90% off the hook entirely, but absolutely. I mean, like, that's definitely my own experience of it, where it's like, oh, here's the only thing that's ever interesting that's happened to me. And, like, so here it is. <laughs> No, I mean, I feel like I've definitely written essays that have been like that, where it's like, this is probably like a formative experience in some point or in some way, because it's like something that I witnessed, but it wasn't actually about me. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, totally. And kind of like recognizing that like it, it was a formative experience for you, but like the reasons why that is are maybe more interesting than like the thing itself or, you know, whatever it may be. I, it's hard to workshop an essay that like doesn't exist and isn't in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's workshop the potential thought. Yeah. It seems bad. Okay. Moving on. Right. <laughs> I, um, what was I going to say? Oh no. Um, I had a thought and then it left me. I give up. Yes. Um, Do you want to read your letter? Yes. Uh, Also, it sounds like I need to watch the Philadelphia story and also some like it hot, which I have not seen either. Um, Oh, here's an idea. We don't have, we can have this as an option. And then if we don't do it, you can watch it your own damn self. Maybe when I come to visit, we can watch some like it hot. (laughs) Watch all the movies. Yay. Go see Lord. Lord. Drink drinks, do things. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. Um, after we hang up, let's talk logistics because I'm ready to buy tickets. But first, let's do your letter. <laughs> ah, okay. What? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Dear Jackie, Tyler and I had just been talking about how much he hates abbreviated words when he asked me what our topic was for today, and I replied, "Problematic faves." <laughs> Perhaps my problematic faves include shortened words like faves. 
well, this <laughs> convo, another shortened word, arose because we were looking at brunch menus and he rolled his eyes at the places that now list Eggs Benedict as Denny's. I pointed out that re- he regularly says bike for bicycle and fridge for refrigerator. Probably we all have words that are problematic faves, just like we have people or brands or foods that are problematic faves. I have a tough time with the concept of people as problematic faves. If we accept that no one is perfect, then we accept that probably everyone is problematic in some way. Any scandal or revelation of someone's bad opinions isn't new. It's just problems coming to light. If we want to have favorite people, we're always going to have problematic faves. We just have to decide how many problems we're willing to put up with. So then what or who is a problematic fave? Is it someone who we know should have crossed our personal line, but who we can't stop liking or respecting? Every ex-boyfriend is or was a problematic fave. My high heels that fucked up my feet, but that I kept wearing to parties in college, problematic faves. Probably everyone who has family members in their life has problematic faves. When you look at something closely, when you experience it often, you see both the good and the bad. I'm going a little too philosophical, I think. Here are some specifics. I don't like Lena Dunham. I think she's overprivileged and whiny and she has no problems appropriating any experience. But I did really like her recent essay about her hysterectomy. That essay is a problematic fave. I had never watched a single Kardashian-branded item until I watched Kylie Jenner's baby announcement video documentary thing, which I unexpectedly adored. Another problematic fave, I'm sure. The movie Taken is obviously a problematic fave. A shiny red Urban Decay lipstick that somehow always ends up on my chin by the end of the evening is a problematic fave. The Bachelor franchise, Jack Daniels, which has given me some truly outrageous hangovers. New York City, America, all of my friends, myself. Everything I've ever written is a problematic fave. I see the flaws, but don't yet know how to fix them. Nothing is ever perfect. And yet I do feel feel pride sometimes or joy when something is published. Going to Target is a problematic fave experience. I don't know. The air that we breathe is a problematic fave. Everything we do or touch in this world damages the earth we live in. Every action is a problematic fave. I think really what I'm getting at is that it seems like kind of BS to call something or someone a problematic fave. What we're doing is half ownership, saying we love something or someone while also trying to take responsibility for or acknowledge their flaws. Instead of owning our own tastes or praising the talent of our problematic faves, we're undermining both them and ourselves and hoping to not be held accountable. It's like white men who are like, I know I'm super privileged, but, and then the disclaimer means they've done the right thing and can continue on. And by naming some things problematic faves and not others, we're implying that our other favorite things and people are perfect, which is never the case. It's also hurtful. I know one of my writer friends has found herself mentioned as a problematic fave on Tumblr. I'm sure that was weird. I thought about this a lot while teaching composition. Sometimes it would strike me that we were a group of academic types sitting around in a college classroom, meticulously analyzing and critiquing the music videos of stars who, though powerful and privileged, probably didn't have much of an education. Celebrities often don't go to college. A lot of them don't finish high school. Sometimes it felt hard to justify unpacking their work academically when they could never be a part of that conversation. This isn't to say that this work shouldn't be done, but that there should be some acknowledgement of our own privilege as scholars and the knowledge base that we have that a lot of others don't. I think about this too with critiques of rural and uneducated voters. No, they aren't free from judgment. Nobody is. But sometimes we forget mitigating circumstances. We, the labelers of problematic faves, are problematic ourselves. Side story. One time in college, my house's dryer was not working properly. I don't remember exactly what it was doing wrong. But I remember a group of us standing around it in the laundry room, which was at the back of our house, and staring at the dryer, trying to decide whether to call the campus repair people. Nobody wanted to, because then there'd be strangers in our house, and they'd probably lecture us about something, and also we just didn't feel like it. 
hashtag college. I refer to the dryer situation as problematic, and one of my housemates looked at me blankly. Doesn't that mean it's like racist or sexist, she asked? In current millennial activist parlance, yes. In the world, no. It just means something has problems, and everything has problems. Love, Kate. I'm so glad you didn't literally throw this away because this is good. Also, it is wildly similar to mine, but like, I feel like we landed harder on different things. There were both like, they were equally present in both, but it was just kind of like the lean was different. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, I feel like that my problem was that I just kept repeating problematic phase. And then every time I saw it, I was just like, is there a synonym? It's an unexpected tongue twister also. <laughs> like the more you say it, the more it's like, blah, 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 blah. I know. And I just feel like, like there isn't really a perfect synonym for it. And no. then I just was overusing it. And then it's like a vicious cycle. And- um, I, this is such a like minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but I love this dryer story because it's hilarious, but also because I love the word problematic in its proper context. I think it's such a like hilarious word a hundred percent of the time. It's like always an understatement of whatever it is. I know, like that seems problematic. It's like <laughs> it's like it's like the dryer's broken. That's problematic. That's hilarious. Like or um, I don't know. I can't, th- I, now I can't think of any non-repair examples, but it's just like so good. <laughs> I saw when I Googled problematic, cause I was like, maybe I'm wrong. And it actually does mean something socially, but it was like, it has problems. And then the example that they had was like, our building's pest control is problematic. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, you don't ever want to have to say that sentence. Absolutely. Um, I also, okay, wait. So like the number one, two things one delighted and one like intellectual um I feel exactly the same about the damn Kylie Jenner baby announcement did you watch it it's so good why Why did I literally cry (laughs) I know me too also I so I was like you know doing that thing where you're like on your phone in bed yeah that's where I watched it Yeah, but so I started watching it and I was like 11 minutes. Obviously, I'm not going to get through it. I'm going to watch yeah. it the first two minutes. Yep. Click away. No. Seriously. It's so good. Kylie Jenner is actually like a stellar example of kind of like the conversation that like a version of problematic fave conversation being engendered by like specific people where it is sort of like linked to your classroom reflection where it's like people who just like grow up in a situation are obviously like going to embody problems, but like also what alternative was presented to them. (laughs) I mean, I remember that when Kendall Jenner, who's the older one was growing up, there was a countdown clock on some website until she turned 18 and it was like legal to like, sexually fantasize about her it's like that's how these young women grew up yeah that's gross that as fuck. fuck yeah so yeah like kyle I, mean, I don't think kylie and i would be great friends because i don't imagine we have a lot in common and sometimes i she reminds me of other people i found annoying in my life but yes the things that she said about like never having privacy and like feeling anxious about like public scrutiny and like whatever i'm like yeah girl you make me really like you in these moments and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. And 
I don't know. It was just, it was interesting too, because I felt like watching the video, I was thinking a lot about how like everyone was like, Oh, she's always wanted to be a mom. And I'm like, well, that's because she's never had to deal with the negatives of right pregnancy and motherhood. Like those are not things that she has to think about, like yeah. childcare, money. But then I don't know. It was kind of there's something kind of sweet about it, even if it's like from a super privileged. It was adorable. It was yes. like it was so cute. Like the premise of it, it was cute, which was like we didn't want to invite any of this into our lives before. So this is what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, however, I just, and I'm so sorry to this baby, but why with the current news cycle <laughs> and with our president, would you name a baby Stormy? I know. I know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't name a baby that anyway. Right. I say. Right. But especially coming back to back with Chicago West, which is the greatest name of all time of all time. <laughs> 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 like either you can't you can't you can't compete with that that's so good oh my god that moment in the kylie video where kim tells kylie that they're gonna name the baby chicago i was still like i don't like kim kardashian <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i i have a weird love for kim kardashian um Anyway, and I have nothing to back it up other than, like, just kind of seeming to know what's what. <laughs> I deeply dislike her, but whatever. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, it's not because she killed anyone, so it's actually very, like... <laughs> it's fine. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that Kylie video, it was... Yeah. Um, okay, wait, so I, I spent just way too much time thinking about that just now. But like the other part in that paragraph that I also really liked is sort of this distinction that I started getting into with Woody Allen and back to the fuck away from is the sort of like the problematic fave, like via whoever created the thing, where it's like, I feel like Lena Dunham's a really good way to kind of like have that conversation because it is sort of like, it's not as weighted and freighted as Woody Allen. Um, Cause like when I think of problematic th faves, I think of like a thing, whether it's like a piece of media or a person and like that thing by itself is the problem and also the solution. And also I love it. Um, but I don't, I usually in my head don't kind of think of like that person is problematic and they have produced a fave like, Oh yeah. Um, so it's interesting to kind of think of it that way. I feel like I often end up in that place maybe because I don't know. It's like, I really don't like Calvin Harris, but I like a lot of the songs that he produces. Yeah. But I hate him as a person. Yeah. So I feel like then I mean, and also, like, with what you were saying about Midnight in Paris, it's like, you know, that's not, like, you right. loving Woody Allen, but there's also recognition that, like, Woody Allen in some way created that piece of art and yeah. that affects it. Yes. L Lena Dunham, though, did you read this essay? No. I just felt like it was better written than her other stuff that I've read, and mm -hmm. it was honest, and it was just about her own experience. Yeah. 
And I was just like, hey, look, see how great it is when you just talk in your own voice, hashtag own voices. I feel like that's actually for me a big part of um, the sort of like culture underlying the concept of problematic faves that I do not like. And which is why I defend problematic faves, even as, even while like you, I'm kind of just like, why is this even a thing we have to specify? But like the sort of concept of like, because Lena Dunham is bad, everything she does is bad. Like, yeah, I find that so tiresome. <laughs> yeah. And also it's like, I don't know. It's like, I have plenty of friends who enjoyed watching girls. Right. I did not enjoy watching it, but it's like, there, there are lots of other people who worked on that show. Yeah. Or like I've read, she edits that like semi lit mag weird thing called Lenny letter. Oh yeah. And I've liked a few things published there and it's like, well, that's not endorsing her as a person. Right. Oh yeah. No, there are some like amazing authors who have been on there. I don't know. It also, like just coming off of the heels of like her other problems of like that thing where she was like, Oh, I wish I had had an abortion or oh, yeah. so I could talk about it. It's like, look, like this is, you did the other thing. It's better. Mm-hmm. And like, you want to hope that that type of thing means that she's learning something, but who knows? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, also like if she were, this is linked to your kind of like music video classroom feelings, but like if she were just some person like m- me, And she's, like, getting her weird, like, observations out of her system without the global platform that she enjoys. Like, she'd be cut a lot more slack. And, like, sometimes probably undeserved slack, sometimes deserved slack. Um, But I feel like she'd be given more room to, like, evolve into writing a good essay. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Where it's, like, then, like, the first essay you publish that's, like, on some, like, not great website or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like complicating all of this is just kind of just the, I want to footnote it in the style of like white men giving themselves a pass, like just kind of how intersectionality works and like some people getting more passes than others. Yes. Because like you have more opportunities to show growth. But like that being said, I feel like, I don't know. I don't like it when people assume that no one can change. Like some people don't, but they keep showing us that. no same and I I also like not just with her but with like any celebrity it's frustrating when like everything they do becomes a story yeah where it's like if Beyonce doesn't comment on something yeah just because she's fucking Beyonce she's busy she's doing some other shit totally suddenly someone's allowed to like run a story on BuzzFeed being like x y or z happened and Beyonce stayed conspicuously silent right Or, like, she didn't come to a party. Like, even, like, a lack of action for these celebrities is, like... Oh, totally. ...worthy. Yeah. And that's frustrating. Or, like, if they do something that I routinely do, which is, like, okay, so you tweet something, it gets, like, one like, you look at it, it has a typo where you don't like it anymore, like, you can delete the tweet. But if someone like Beyonce deletes a tweet, then suddenly that's, like... Oh, yeah. ...that's a story. Oh, yeah. It's, like, what did it mean? Who is she shading? Like... It's so, yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, I missed, I should have listed Maggie Nelson as a problematic, <gasps> problematic. Oh, yeah. She's such a good one. So ableist, so smart. Yeah. Oh God. She's a perfect example. Uh, Aria Levy too. Yeah. But I don't like writers as problematic faves. No, I mean, 
you had a few on your list, like John McCurry, yeah. his name I can't pronounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because and he's a good one because it's sort of the Lena, Lena, <laughs> Lena Dunham root of like he himself. Like he's old and British. And so he just wanders around saying things about women sometimes like, and he says it very genteely, but they're still problematic comments. Um, and sometimes it makes it into his writing and sometimes it doesn't, but like, I fucking love his writing and I love his books. And like, I think if I met him, I would faint. Um, and he would probably ascribe it to my natural womanhood, but whatever it's just so weak yep (laughs) i i mean there are some authors and celebrities where i just kind of wish that they'd stop talking oh yeah oh yeah everything margaret atwood says i'm just like listen i'm trying to still have respect for you could you please not that's the thing i actually hate the most about people being like so-and-so is conspicuously absent from this conversation it's like do they need to be in this conversation like, just because they're famous, do they have to hold a press conference weighing in on this thing that they have nothing to do with? Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like because then sometimes when celebrities do weigh in on things that they have no business weighing in on, it's like, shut your mouth. <laughs> I know. It's like, actually, we didn't need so-and-so's bad opinion on this. Yeah. We lost everyone's respect. Matt Damon, shut up. Don't talk. Just <laughs> act. Don't be playing a white man in a Chinese movie. You're good. Talk about what would happen hypothetically if you had groped someone right. 10 years ago. Oh my God. Stop talking. I like you as an actor. Shut your mouth on these things. Talk about other things. Talk about how much you love teachers because he was killing it when he was talking about that. <laughs> it's weird because I feel like uh, you used to always hear about like people's publicists and lawyers being like, don't talk, stop talking. And now I feel like there's instead sort of the opposite thing of like, well, no, no news is bad. It's like bad news or whatever. It's so interesting how like that is a tale as old as time in terms of like all like no news is all. There's no such thing as bad publicity. That's, That's what, what I meant. Yes. That's, yep. <laughs> like no news is good news is the opposite of that. <laughs> but instead I made it no news is bad news, which I'm just going to, that's me now. I'm no news is bad news. Which actually kind of like as I was making my problematic faves list and kind of like um, wanting to include people and I came out, I went straight to Kanye West and in my head I was like, wait, why did I go straight to him? And then I was like, oh, it's because just like the wheel of media marches on. I can no longer remember like specific things that he has said and done that make him a problematic fave. Cause I've just been kind of like wiped clean by, Oh look, now this person's saying that thing. So this person's on the short list of like people in trouble. Oh, now this person's saying this thing. So this person is like canceled the phrase I hate. Um, but so it, I'm just like, okay, I know there was something and I know he's on this list. Let's just go with the fact that he's rich. <laughs> I know it's like, there are so many news stories where it's like, Okay, like, I remember that there's a reason to dislike them. With Kanye West, uh, I'm just going to cite that he, like, basically kidnapped a lot of models to be in his show. And Oh, yeah! <laughs> See? And it See? was really creepy. I completely forgot. And this is sort of like, we talked on this podcast about James Franco and how, like, that is one of very few things I never forgot about. But, like, literally yes. everyone else I talked to was like, oh, yeah, I knew about this and then forgot about it. <laughs> 
wait, are we talking about him propositioning teenage girls? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the kind of thing too, where it's like similar to Donald Trump, where it's like, did you hear the Trump thing? And like my initial reaction is like, yes, wait, maybe not. Right. Which thing are you referring to? Um, yeah, no. Uh, right. (laughs) Uh, you should tell everyone that you, uh, muted or blocked him on twitter oh yeah awesome. no before we started recording kate was like have you seen the trump tweet and i was like no i've i know i can like i can um forensically figure out what he said because i blocked him but so i'll just see people like quote tweeting him and i'll see their commentary being like fuck you donald how dare you and i can guess what he said but i haven't seen an actual donald trump tweet on twitter for like five months <laughs> that's that's some amazing self-control <laughs> well I, I know people will tell me <laughs> that's true i follow there's an account called trump's feed <laughs> where it retweets oh. him plus every single person that he follows so mm. you can see what his twitter looks like that's good yes and then you don't have to follow all those hateful people or him that's kind of like those um like stan follow accounts for pop stars but for good instead of for evil yes but so i feel like it does kind of like screw up my timeline because i'll be scrolling and it's like the usual stuff and then it'll be like liberals need to and i'm like wait what who said that oh okay I, I think sometimes um, one of the things that trips me up most reliably on Twitter that is not a problem, I think people should continue to do this, but is sort of like when people tweet within a meme context and like what they're expressing is kind of like like along the lines of like, this is the future the liberals want as a meme. Right. Um, and they assume that everyone they who follows them knows the meme. <laughs> And then sometimes I'll hit it and I'll be like, wow, I had a completely different view of this person. And then like five minutes later, after seeing like 12 different versions of this that other people are tweeting, I'm like, it's clearly a meme. (laughs) I know. It's like, you have to just like get all the context and all that. (laughs) Tyler is very new to memes and he was showing me that, you know, the like brain blowing. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. And he was like, like he was like looking at his phone. He was like, I see this, there's a meme and I like this one. And, uh, it's, it's like, it's kind of weird. I don't know if you know it. And then he was like looking at it. I was like, okay, just show, (laughs) show it to me. I was like, oh yeah, like the brain glowing meme. And he was like, oh, cool, cool. What I love about that specific situation is that you managed to have that interaction where neither of you were annoying because I feel like no one wins when someone sends someone else a meme and the other person goes, yeah, I've seen it. And I've been both of those people. I've been like, wow, look at this newfangled thing. And everyone else is like, Jesus Christ, Jackie, like you just found the strutting Leo meme from 2010. And I've also been the person who's like, Oh my God, I literally saw that three days ago. It's already old news. What's wrong with you? (laughs) I feel like more often I'm the one being annoying and trying to, cause Tyler has never seen any memes uh-huh. trying to explain it to him. And he's like, I don't get it. Show it to me. And then I show it to him and he's like, I still don't get it. And you've wasted my time. I mean, it's a thing I'll continue to do just like telling other people my dreams. It's just a thing. And I, I, I will not apologize for it, but I do recognize how annoying it is. 
my God. I just, you just sent me down the rabbit hole of, I know I had a weird dream last night, but I can't remember it. And I just started trying to remember it again. You know, when you're like, I know I had this feeling. I hate that so much, especially when you know it was good and like worth telling. I know. Um, You're probably going to remember like five minutes after we stop recording. So let's stop recording. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at cold take podcast. You can go to our website, the cold which is now updated. Yeah. And it looks so good. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I changed it too. So it's like a, a whole different layout. It's a whole new world. You guys It is come over. Oh my God. The graphics. I feel like you were just like firing on all cylinders. Um, I still want to wear the poem one, like a shirt. I can't deal with it. You can listen to us on iTunes Castbox, SoundCloud, yep, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Stitcher, yep, um, and and tin cans tied on strings pressed to the wall of your neighbor who is listening to our podcast. Yeah, but like, stop fucking creeping on them. Yeah, um, great. Uh, Let us know. Don't let us know your problematic faves. Let us know the people you know have flaws like the rest of us, but you like them and you're rooting for them. And this can be yeah. a person or a thing, an entity, a media item. <laughs> the Coca-Cola Corporation. Yes. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.